you know, during these, these three-minute uh, breaks that we have, we can tell who the introverts are and the extroverts are in the crowd, you know? The introverts are sitting there just going, please don't talk to me. I'm just quite content by myself here. <laughs> or they're thinking, this is awkward, uh, one or the other. Anyway, we love whatever your temperament is. We're glad you're here. Um, we are so honored today to have uh, Reverend Dr. Ray Aldred with us today. Uh, Ray is the director of the Indigenous uh, Studies Program at Vancouver School of Theology. Um, he was first ordained uh, in the Christian Missionary Alliance, and he is now ordained uh, with the Anglican Church. Um, he grew up, uh, at least part of his days, as status Cree from Swan River uh, Band in northern Alberta. And he now lives in the Lower Mainland in Richmond with his wife, Elaine. Uh, they have four adult children and uh, I believe six grandchildren, although he wasn't sure when I quickly asked him how many grandchildren he had. Once it gets to the next generations, you start to lose count, you know? Um, I was privileged to take a master class online with uh, Dr. Ray this last fall. And uh, I just so appreciated his wisdom and insight and uh, certainly his uh, deep heart for his people and for the indigenous people of Canada and around the whole issue of reconciliation. And so we're really privileged to have him here today. He's just released um, a new book. I think it's come out now, and we don't know quite where you can get it, but we've got cards at the back that give instructions. It's called Our Home and Treaty Land, Walking Our Creation Story. And uh, so it uh, looks like a fantastic read. And like I said, it's just been released and uh, so you might want to get up, grab a hold of that uh, as you're able. Um, can we just uh, invite Ray up with a warm hillside welcome today? I thank you for the opportunity to be here. I want to acknowledge that this sermon is taking place on the traditional ancestral unceded territory of the Coquitlam First Nation, and I thank the Coquitlam who continue to live in this land and care for them, along with the waters and all that is above and below. I'm a visitor here. I'm trying to live in a good way and walk in a good way on other people's territory. So I thank you. I'd like to, uh, I, I think I have six, but you'd have to ask my wife how many grandchildren we have. <laughs> It's like I have to always ask her, what, what year were our kids born? <laughs> I remember the weather, what it was like, whether it was a warm day or otherwise, but I sometimes lose track of those other details. If you, if you fall, if you, I'm trying to preach from a text. I, I, I do have a doctorate in theology and I, my two big principles in preaching is that Jesus has something to do with theology, and, and the Bible has something to do with theology, so that's kind of my starting point. So I, I have two, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 6 to 11 is the text that I want to use today. I can read it to you. In 2 Corinthians 6 verse 16 from now on therefore we regard no one from a human point of view even though once we once knew christ from a human point of view we know him no longer in that way 
So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I have listened to you. And on a day of salvation, I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way through great endurance in affliction, hardship, calamities, beating, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well known, as dying and see we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken frankly to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open to you. There is no restriction in our affliction, but only in yours. In return, I speak as to children. Open your hearts also. The word of the Lord. If you read that and you think about that that's talking about the indigenous church, then I think that's the whole point of my sermon. But so often we think in terms of that it's the newcomer church that, it's, that that's talking about. That it's talking about us reaching out to those out there. But most indigenous people in Canada receive the gospel early on early on, and then were persecuted because other denominations came and thought that they weren't Christian enough. That was what was behind the residential schools. It wasn't that indigenous people hadn't received the Gospels. Most did and embraced the Gospel and became Anglican or Catholic. Some embraced the Salvation Army. Others embraced different traditions, the Methodist. But then they weren't thought to be Christian enough. And so the Canadian government used the Christian church to try to transform, re-socialize indigenous children and make them more Christian because they thought they weren't Christian enough. 
They weren't Christian enough. And that's what happened in Canada. That's what happened in Canada. Sorry about that. That's not in my text. But I do want to speak to you heart to heart. I'm a Cree from northern Alberta. Uh, when I was studying my master's degree, it's called Master of Divinity. I did a Master of Divinity at it was then the Canadian Theological Seminary in Regina, Saskatchewan, which I'm impacted by the song, the, the song where it says, make us humble, because if you think about the degree mastering divinity, <laughs> that's, that's the problem with education. I was halfway through mastering divinity. <clears throat> And my faith had become primarily an intellectual thing, which tends to happen. As cool as theology is, although I have a hard time convincing some of my students that it's a cool thing, it's kind of certain something you have to learn. I always tell them, well, it's like Sudoku, you know? It's kind of cool to have all the right things in the right boxes, and then it all works out. But I was a... Uh, I was halfway through my master's degree, and I, and I was downstairs. I remember I was downstairs part of the library, and I was, I was reading the Bible, and I thought, what would, I wonder what would happen if I read this text as a Cree man through indigenous eyes, through the heritage of narrative and storytelling that had been given to me by my people. And then something happened, and it came to life came to life. I mean, one of the problems with uh, some of the teaching, um, I think we're trying to shift in the academy, but traditional theological training sees no value in culture. It's something that we try to shed so that it can, we can capture the kernel of objective truth. Oftentimes, some Bible studies just want to distill the the text down to a principle or two, which on one hand is okay, but if you lose the story in that, then, then you miss the whole point. When I embrace my indigenous identity and culture, it enlarged my interpretive community, and it gave me insight into the story, what was going on in scripture. Maybe because indigenous folks in Canada have a more Eastern perspective on life. More Eastern perspective on life. They would identify more with, that we're a shame-honor kind of, of uh, approach to life, particularly the Cree who I live among, who won't, will, when rude outsiders come in, they won't often tell them, you're rude. They'll try to be gentle about how they correct them, so much so that early on missionaries never understood that that when the indigenous people adopted them, they were trying to help them learn because they seemed particularly tone deaf and unable to understand how life works. So they thought maybe we'll make them family so they can sort of, maybe we can teach them something. My daughter also found one missionary noted how the whole group became silent when he spoke and he thought that was a sign of respect. It actually meant that they didn't think that anything he had to say was of great significance, so why even comment on something like that? 
And I think also uh, because we've endured a lot of suffering. And so when you think about that, it, it influences how you see things. And I think that many Indigenous people could understand the gospel because we were suffering. And the first century believers were suffering in the framework of the story of Scripture. Part of the problem with our modern culture is we're so intent on avoiding pain, it becomes almost the goal. That's what modern, the modern world equates with salvation. That's, the, that's why the prosperity gospel is so popular, because it promises that if you just have enough money, then you can, you can have more freedom. I always get worried about politicians who talk about more freedom. That usually means that if you have more money, you can do whatever you want. That's usually what they mean. Principles and our pet doctrines were thought to contain eternal truths. The problem is language is about story, and some truths are so big they can only be contained in a story. So I'm thinking about that when I think about this passage. Oh yeah, I always should ask, when should I be done? Someone start making noises or something when I should be finished. So 2 Corinthians, the passage in 2 Corinthians, not to think of it as a set of principles, but as a story. The context of the New Testament is about the gospel moving across cultures. There's an ongoing tension between cultural groups. If you fail to see that, you don't understand the gospel because it's always about crossing cultures. There's this tension between Jew and Greek. There's tension between men and women. There's tension between the slave or the, the master and the servants. There are many changes. There were challenges to diversity, but diversity is always God's plan. This is why the coming of the Spirit is marked with an event that is very similar to the Tower of Babylon. Tower of Babylon happens because human beings were not following the creative mandate of God to fill the earth, to replenish it, and to draw forth what is best. So God has to confuse their languages because they had not been doing what he said they should be doing. And then Pentecost is, is sort of a, a revisiting of that, but this time it's the power of the Spirit, and instead of confusing everybody, everybody hears the gospel proclaimed in their own language. And it's always God's plan that the gospel travels across cultures. That's how we hear the call to transformation is because we hear the gospel told from another culture and it stands our understanding on its ear. Because diversity is part of God's plan for creation. It's a wonderful time of year and I love the different colors and you can see the diversity that's all around us. God sees value in diversity. No one can go outside and look at creation and not believe that. Except that we don't see much value in it if you think about how we live. Well, maybe this group is not bothered by diversity, but in the history of humankind, the history of humankind is of conquest. Ruler after ruler has tried to bring all people under their dominion. 
ruler after ruler trying to make all people the same. Christian history is filled with stories of discrimination and holocaust. I come from a people group who have suffered through various social experiments aimed at destroying our cultural identity so that we would be better citizens. The Nazi Holocaust was carried out by a right-wing extremist group that did not see value in certain people groups. Diversity is not, was not embraced, even though it is God's plan. Paul is writing to the Corinthians to say that we used to look at people and judge them like the world, but no longer. We no longer do that. Paul once thought of Christ as only a man, and he persecuted the church because he saw it as a threat. It threatened the status quo. So Saul persecuted the church, but we know that Paul no longer saw Christ in that way. Paul's encounter with Christ also caused Paul to change his perspective of the Gentiles. Paul had to embrace God's plan for diversity. Paul had worked hard at keeping things the same, defending the nation, making sure that these new people kept values almost said, kept Canadian values. That's how some people put it. They need to have Canadian values. And Paul was threatened when these people were changing his Jewish religion. And God said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Reconciliation restores God's created diversity. And Paul has to turn around and instead of sort of persecuting any new sort of cultural thing coming into the Jewish church. He actually is sent out beyond the Jewish nation to the Gentiles. And the funny thing about God's diversity is that Paul becomes more Jewish in doing that. For the promise of God that had come to Abraham was that through Abraham all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. Diversity is God's plan. God wants to use mission to restore diversity. And this is a challenge, though, because we in the West have a long history of being used by the powers that be to spread many things, diversity not being one of them. Anytime you begin to use Christianity to argue for things to remain the same, you're in danger of reducing Christianity to folk religion, Folk religion is used just to maintain the status quo. That's what folk religion is. That's not about transformation. The problem with most of our theology is that we view reconciliation and salvation as a one-time event. And once it's accomplished, it is done and we can move on. That's the problem with many forms of our Christian faith. We've reduced them to some inner world. And we have this powerful emotional experience, which is important. You can't accomplish much without emotions. Pentecostals have that right. You have to feel something before you'll actually do anything. But sometimes in reconciliation-type events, we feel bad, we cry. Then we have this moment that the Spirit of God receives, reveals something about ourselves. We even open our hearts to one another, but then we move on and it's forgotten. And we go back to our jobs, and nothing changes. Maybe that's because we 
view our conversion like that, but reconciliation is a ministry. It's, not, it's something that's supposed to be ongoing. It's, it's a process, not just an event in time. It's a journey. It's a journey. Not only this, but in the West, we viewed reconciliation as only being necessary between God and us. That's another shortcoming of the way the Western church has used reconciliation. We have only focused on the vertical relationship between God and people. But Christ is not only the mediator between God and people, but also between people and people. God's glory is revealed as the hurts and pains of relationship are confronted and worked through and a new, better relationship is begun and nurtured. What my aboriginal eyes notice in this story is that Paul begins this letter by talking to the church at Corinth, the believers. That's who the letter is addressed to. And he's talking along, and then he says to these believers, so be reconciled to God in 520. Paul seems to be saying that reconciliation with God should be manifested by our relationship with one another. So often, though, when you reduce the story to a set of principles, we miss the fact that Paul is speaking to believers when he urges them to be reconciled. I've heard this passage preached on many occasions, and usually it's a sermon about giving to mission or a sermon on the need for those outside the church to be reconciled with God. Follow the story, and what is in the story gives my any gives what's in the story. Paul hasn't shifted who he's talking to. He's talking to believers, and he says, "Be reconciled to God." In our indigenous churches, one thing that I've observed is that many times our children reject the faith because we see they see how much their parents fight about their faith. Our young people are rejecting the church in Christ because they see the hypocrisy that exists in the church that persecuted children in the name of making them better Christians. They see the hypocrisy of Christianity that rejects the calls to care for our relationship with the earth. They reject Christianity because they do not see God's righteousness in what the church is doing. Paul says reconciliation reveals the righteousness of God. In 2 Corinthians 6, 1, and as we work together with him, he says to the Corinthians, we urge you not to accept the grace of God in vain. Corinthians, like our North American society, has received many good things, but if that does not translate into a community characterized by wanting to work towards better relationship, then the grace of God has been received in vain. The goodness of God is supposed to lead to repentance not to thinking that we have created heaven on earth. The goodness of God should reveal to a fighting world that there's a better way. Paul writes the Corinthians to know that his ministry is revealed through the things that he has suffered. And it culminates in verses 11 to 13. We urge you, Corinthians, open your hearts to us. We have not closed our hearts to you. And then he sort of adds this, even though you continually reject us, Open our heart, open your hearts to us. You should be able to do exegesis on our we should People should be able to do exegesis on our lives, on our Christian society, and see Christ revealed. The toughest thing about reconciliation is that you have to open your heart. Again, 
we would like to think that we have arrived and don't need to open our heart. Most men know that you go to things on abuse for the sake of your wife, or you go to marriage encounter for the sake of your wife, because we think that we've arrived. Maybe, maybe you're not like that, but I, I, that's me. That's me. I haven't arrived, though. I need to open my heart. We need to make our faith public and not private. In my journey of reconciliation, when working with the Christian Missionary Alliance, where I was first ordained, we met over and over again with the denominational representatives, and we said, I think we should have a meeting between the representatives of the denomination, the board of directors, and the First Nations Alliance Churches of Canada. We asked if we could meet. We started asking if we could meet, I think, in 1991. And they always said, well, no, we don't usually meet with just one ethnic group. And then uh, finally, though, I'm going to say somewhere around 95, 96. And uh, uh, one of uh, the denominational, one of the denominational, I think uh, one of the vice presidents of the denomination met with me and a lawyer. He br they always bring a lawyer. <laughs> church leaders in those days, church leaders always brought lawyers in those days because I think they thought if they made an apology that it would cost them something, that there would be culpability. But they met with us. And, uh, and I remember half out of frustration, half out of wanting to know the denominational officials say, what, what do you want? What do you want? I think he might have actually said, what do you people want? And my friend who was with me, who's also Cree from Manitoba, said, we want your heart. That's all we've ever wanted. And the denominational official, in a, in a moment of vulnerability, said honestly and with a disappointing voice, but we don't do that. But we don't do that. Paul's request to the Corinthians was to embrace God's ministry of reconciliation and open their hearts to him. We have not closed our hearts to you, but you've closed our hearts to, your hearts to us. The toughest thing about diversity in our institutions are so seeped in Western tradition that they don't want to make room for anything new. They believe they have always done things right, and there's no need for reconciliation on that level. But we need to embrace diversity. Because diversity is our witness. So Paul shares with the Corinthians to really embrace their partnership with him and the suffering church. For you see, that is where Paul was ministering, but the Corinthians were in love with the way they did things. So often in the West, we always think we are protecting something. We have somehow created something like heaven and earth, heaven on earth. This was, this was part of manifest destiny, which is more common in the United States. The United States, manifest destiny in the United States was that they thought that they were God's kingdom come to earth. And parts of that were in Canada too, particularly in Eastern Canada in the late 1800s. Those, those sentiments were also true. Leslie Newbigin, in writing about the church in the West said, Leslie Newbigin, who was a longtime missionary in India for many years, 
he wrote, whenever a nation thinks that they have established heaven on earth, that they brought heaven to earth, they usually bring hell up instead. That's usually what happens. And you just look at all the nations that they claim to be establishing some kind of kingdom of God on earth. So often the West resists diversity because they believe it will ruin what is here. But the ministry of reconciliation restores diversity because we can embrace those who are different because it's what we were made for. Mission gives us more and more impetus to continue to be transformed. But instead we often do mission as something that you have to cross large bodies of water, a long train ride or plane ride, they believe that we need to protect some North American Christian ideal that exists back there, and we need to work back to that. I have news for you. It never existed. The good old days never really existed. They never really existed. But we create them in our mind. We are on a journey towards the culmination of history. We're in the now, but not yet. The passage says, today is the day of salvation. But that salvation is revealed as we embrace diversity through reconciliation. You see, the Corinthians focused on themselves. They had full churches, big budgets, converts, lots of gifts manifested, but they did not pray, embrace Paul and the suffering church. They did not embrace diversity and said they sought to protect what they have. Reconciliation isn't trying to protect something. It's to embrace the suffering that comes to be reconciled. If the Corinthians could embrace reconciliation by embracing the suffering church, they would not be putting a stumbling block in front of other people coming to salvation. Paul says, for he says, at an acceptable time I have listened to you, and on the day of salvation I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable not time. See, now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way. You see here, this verse often gets used to talk about reaching out to others or to hasten some reticent person. So you see what happens in the evangelistic crusades, because I've been to, I, I went to Billy Graham's training of evangelists in Amsterdam in the year 2000. Somehow I found myself there, because I think I was the only non-evangelist in about 15,000 people who were there, which I wondered the whole time I was there, why am I here? <laughs> but, but I mean, and, and we had a Billy Graham Association put on a, and usually this verse, you know, today is the day of salvation, you use that when someone's, you know, you see that they want to get up there, but they're just, so you got to, Sing one more time. We're going to sing one more time, just as you are. And remember, today is the day of salvation. But Paul uses this to talk to, to talk to the Corinthians. Paul turns their idea of salvation on its head. They think that salvation is somehow just for them and those like them. They thought... In them, heaven had arrived to the extent that some even thought there was no resurrection. They, they were so convinced that heaven really was, the kingdom of God really had come to earth, that in the Corinth church, there were some who thought there was no resurrection. 
Paul here is clearly saying to the Corinthians that their strength is their problem. Their independence is their downfall. They wanted to know all and be all and have all. And in doing that are putting obstacles and others coming to Christ. But if they would embrace the ministry of reconciliation. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 6 to point out that it is he and his fellow ministers suffering that validates his ministry. He thus drives home the point again to the Corinthians that that they will be wasting the grace of God if they do not continue to model reconciliation. That is why Jesus came. Now is the day, day of salvation. Now is the time to embrace diversity. You see, our witness is our diversity and our ability to live out reconciliation that we proclaim is important. It's important if we can want to continue the legacy of being a nation of peacekeepers. It's a noble quality that many makes many go to other countries to try to get peace by making... But our weapons are spiritual. You can't, you can't actually make peace... My, my thinking about war is this, that from time to time in the world there are ruptures in the moral fabric of the universe that violence is necessary. I'm not a pacifist, but that violence should be limited to the restoration of the moral order. But it can never produce peace, a lasting peace. Violence can never do that. Only reconciliation can do that. That's what it says when that's what it means when it says our weapons are spiritual. Reconciliation is an attempt to come together through Jesus. It involves listening, telling the truth, and working to restore the damage. So the question is, where do you fit in the story? Where do you fit in the story? I can't answer that for you. Maybe you're here and you never thought about that. But you need to continue to need to be transformed. But if you're wondering what, what you can do, I still think, so I always think that uh, restorative justice is an attempt at reconciliation. Three moves are involved. You need to tell the truth. You need to tell the truth. In Canada, we're still going through a period where people are telling the truth. On September the 30th, we'll remember Reconciliation Day. And you think about the people who told the truth through the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. They told what happened to them. And we need to tell the truth. And you need to really listen. An empathetic listening. I always think of, maybe it's a too simple of an explanation, but when a person apologizes to their spouse and then their spouse begins to tell them how much it really hurt them, what they did. My response in the past has been, but I said I was sorry. <laughs> can't we just move on? No, you can't. You have to listen so that you can feel the pain that people felt. And then you use that pain and emotion that you feel to try to come up with a shared plan and ask, how do we fix? How do we fix it? How do we fix it? How do we come together? How do we come together?
So many who live in North America, self-protection that causes some political groups to say that we should not embrace newcomers. Immigrants are taking the jobs, they say. Isn't it ironic that the West, I always think it's ironic for people who've only been here maybe 400 years calling other people newcomers. <laughs> As an indigenous person, the Musqueam have been there for 15,000 years. And for them, I could see where they would call others newcomers, but for another group who's only been here a few hundred years to call others newcomers, that's just crazy. I always thought that God, you see, the idea of that book that I have is that true spirituality is in your creation story, and your creation story tells how you're related to the earth. When newcomers came, back when the crown made treaty with us, we thought that they had come here, and when we were making treaty with them, because they, like us, wanted to heal the land. God brings people into our lives, people from other places, and they have story, and they have, maybe they have a part of the story that we need to hear that will help us live in a better way and continue to move forward towards reconciliation, the culmination of the ages, when all will stand before the king, the true king, from every tribe and every nation and raise their voice, and worship and praise. And that's what we're working towards. That's what we're working towards. It feels like I've probably gone enough, long enough, so I'm just going to stop there. And thank you for the opportunity to pray. I'm going to tell a story. Sorry. <laughs> When the Creator was making all things, he called, he called, before he made humans, he, he, he called the council of all the animals. And he said to the animals, he said, I'm about to make two more things. He said, first, I'm going to make that which is most precious. And then I'm going to make human beings. But he said, before I make human beings, and I want to hide that which is most precious. I want to put it in a special place a place that's difficult to find because anything humans find easily, they treat with contempt. And there was silence. And then the whale stood up and he said, give that which is most precious to me and I will hide it on the bottom of the ocean. And there they won't find it. And the creator smiled. He said, I tell you the truth, that one day human beings will go to the bottom of the ocean, they'll find that which is most precious and plastic straws. I added that part. <laughs> and they will treat it with contempt. And then there was silence, and then the eagle stood. And the eagle, he who flies highest, said, Give that which is most precious to me, and I will fly to the moon. And the creator smiled. He said, I'll tell you one day, human beings will go to the moon. They'll treat it with contempt. And there was silence. And then grandmother field mouse said in a small voice, put it in their heart, for they seldom look there for anything of value. Thank you.
Ray, that was fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, man, I, I wonder what you were hearing this morning. How did God uh, speak to you through Ray's message? Great walk through teachings of Paul and reminding us what they were really about. Uh, some of the things I heard was uh, a love and an honoring of diversity, embracing diversity. Um, this uh, call to reconciliation is not a one-time thing, but a life, almost like a lifestyle of reconciliation, something that we uh, will do with God and with others for the rest of our days. And so it, it, it speaks of a journey or a pilgrimage that we're on of seeking to be reconcilers and to seek to be reconciling, especially when relationships have been broken like they have been uh, among various peoples. Uh, and then uh, reconciliation is a call to justice. And those movements of justice, uh, I think, uh, I'm I, um, struck by the fact that uh, I'm a sixth generation you know, settler. I'm a, I'm a newcomer, actually. I've only been in, Can you know, my family has been in Canada for a couple hundred years, which makes me a newcomer. Um, and I uh, need to learn how to listen to those who've been before and pay attention and, and uh, have empathy and be willing to put myself in their shoes and to feel their pain. And then I loved your, your description of, I think that was a great, description of what reconciliation is. Come together and come up with a plan. <laughs> is, that, is that right? Come, come together with a, with a shared plan, pardon me. I think that's a more important point. Uh, we as a congregation want to continue to walk this journey out. What it means for us, I don't really know, but um, grateful that we have guides and wisdom, and thanks, Ray, for, for leading us in that today. Um, why don't we just pause and let's pray, and then we'll, we'll sing again, uh, inviting God to make us humble. So, Lord, um, this morning, just again, would you give us a picture of what your kingdom really looks like, uh, Lord, uh, of honoring and embracing the diversity around us, those who are different than us, and instead of being defensive, uh, being open opening our hearts to one another as we've heard that invitation from Paul through Ray. I pray especially with our relationship with other peoples, especially our indigenous brothers and sisters, who's, as we've been reminded today, we're early embracers of the gospel. May we not be an obstacle to them. Rather, might we together discover more and more uh, this grace that is sufficient, and our prayer would be that our grace would not be in vain, that we indeed would become both reconciled to God as we reconcile ourselves to one another. Lead us on this journey, God. We just feel like novices. We just don't know what we're doing, and um, I pray we'd have ears to hear. We ask these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.